episode, episode, episode 100. Excitement, entertainment and exposition, welcome to episode 100 of Marvel vs. Marvel. It's a podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book ever in his life watches a Marvel movie or TV show and then quizzes another comedian. This one is a Marvel expert. This one was even taught to read using Marvel comics. Hello and welcome to episode 100, many, many years after we all thought this would have been finished and cancelled, and we would have moved on <laughs> to other things. My name's Rob Holden, I'm the um, Marvel expert, I'm a comedian, I'm a writer, um, I was taught to read using Marvel Comics, and I am joined by a man who was not taught to read using Marvel Comics, and some even suggest was never taught to read at all. It's an ignorant boy named Will Preston. Well, to be fair, you don't really need to, because as everybody knows, all the best books get turned into films anyway. You're just <laughs> wasting time reading books. What are you going to get from extra subtext? No. Once they invented cutscenes that didn't have text at the bottom, you <laughs> abandoned the written word. <laughs> Will... Yeah. It's episode mm. one, freaking hundred. We've got a brand new special theme song composed, yeah. arranged, and performed by Dan Walsh, the best banjo player in the world. Lovely Dan. Lovely Dan. Um, shout out to Dan for doing this for us. Um, this has been planned for a while. Very, very excited. Just both of us buzzing with energy for this one. Mm. Coming up, we'll take you behind the page and into the history of of Marvel Comics and how it all began. Then we'll take you behind the scenes on the making of the first ever adaptation of anything Marvel ever, the 1966 Marvel Superheroes cartoon, and we'll explore the original Red Skull, the powers of the Mandarin, the origins of Captain America, the secret history of the Hulk, and the time that Prince Namor tried to shag his cousin. It's all to come on Marvel vs. Marvel as we look at the 1966 animated Marvel superhero show. And, I mean, Will, let's just have a think before we go any further. Before we get into this, this, this cartoon series, the first, mm. the very first real true Marvel Comics adaptation, we might get some... Uh, some people, some uber geeks messaging us about something else from the 1940s. Doesn't count, mate. Doesn't count. Not having it. Um, <laughs> but before we go that far, I mean, 100 episodes. Let's reflect back a little bit before we get this engine roaring with the real show. Um, did you ever think we'd last this long? Because there aren't no, 100. We, 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 we've asked this question to ourselves on this podcast loads of times. Did you ever think we'd get here? And I always say, no, I thought this wouldn't go go this 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 long. I didn't think we'd get a following, especially across the pond. Uh, I, I didn't think we'd have a live show. I didn't think we'd be featured in the Radio Times. I didn't <laughs> think we'd get any of this. And uh, every every uh, positive we get out of this, uh, I'm happy. Makes me makes me happy each time. Two live shows, um, a comedy festival award from the the Leicester Comedy Festival group yeah. for best live show. <laughs> the best the best of all shows, I think you'll find. We beat like Tim Key and television comedians and 
We beat Alistair Beckett King, and I feel guilty because I do actually really enjoy his podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's just not. It's just not as good as this one. Yeah, um, that's good. And yeah, hey, we'll be featured by the Radio Times. If you head to uh, Radio Times on Twitter, uh, RadioTimes.co.uk, they've got the Marvel versus DC big debate that me and Will took part in um, a few months back now. Um, yeah. We've been for that to come out for a while, and it's it's finally out, and it's all over their socials and stuff, and you can see me and Will chatting and debating Marvel movies events, DC movies, that's out there. Yeah, never really thought, because there aren't, I thought we'd do the MCU movies. Hmm. An hour, <laughs> an hour a throw, during lockdown, go home, knock it on the head. And that'd be like we could look back at that and go, "That was fun. We had we had fun with that. It passed the time. Stopped us." <laughs> Instead, <killing> it. <laughs> it's taken over our lives. <laughs> yeah, we now do five-hour episodes, and uh, I have to spend a lot of my free time researching and writing notes. And people keep asking me questions about Marvel, and I'm like, "I don't know." Ask Rob. <laughs> yeah, it's it's multiple times. I mean, it's it's four or five records uh, mm. a month with the Patreon in there as well. Yeah. And it's tons more work, and it's you know it's I, I I will moan about the work sort of, but every time I start to moan about the work, I stop myself and I say to the other person I'm moaning to, but it's my own <laughs> fault because I chose to make it this way. <laughs> we both kind of went, we both got nudging it up, and when we start to do those episodes that are two hours long, three hours long, we're both going that was great, and then it starts to get higher and higher. We're like that's really good. End game will be six hours. Six hours, people. Calling it now. One hundred <laughs> episodes. Uh, a milestone. Um, a yeah. huge thank you to everyone that's listened and clicked play and subscribed and followed us and shared something and joined us on Patreon. A big thank you to everyone that came and saw us our live shows and just everything, guys. It's incredible. We're not. The foot is not off the pedal. The pedal is not off the metal. Um, it's full ball. We've got tons of plans. Big announcement for the next episode coming up later on in this show. Um, but let's not waste any more time patting ourselves on the back. Let's introduce you to the Marvel superheroes from 1966 and get this show up and running. I'm a hulky superhero A two-fisted and electrically transistored superhero An exotically neurotic and aquatic superhero The Marvel superheroes have arrived Superpowered from the forehead to the toes Watch them change their very shape before you know Striking superhero, change to Viking superhero. A humping and real swing and shield flinging superhero. They're the latest, they're the greatest, ultimate superheroes. The Marvel superheroes have arrived. You step into a time machine and it hurtles you back to 1966. But when you step out, everything's mm. oh, it's grey. It's all grey. It's all murky and grey and misty. And I can't. So, so oh, where am I? Where, where are you? are in the misty, dark, grey mind of a man that knows nothing at all about Marvel comics. It's the mind of a muggle. It's the mind. If we can call it that, oh, hello, Will Preston. <laughs> I was almost going to say, "Oh, this is quite tame for you," and then, then you just insulted my brain, <laughs> and I thought, "Yeah, there it is. There's the ruse. There's the um, rub." 
one one hundred times I've done that now. <laughs> one hundred. Oh God. Hey, no wonder I'm on antidepressants. <laughs> what were you? What were you expecting? Um, from I'm I'm assuming you'd never seen these cartoons before. I think we've established never before seen. Iron Man. You hadn't ever come across uh, Marvel stuff. No, 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 no. Uh, not well. The only thing I remember, and I think we've mentioned it before, uh, was the Hanna Barbera Fantastic Four cartoon back in the day. Right. I remember the, the repeats being shown on a Cartoon Network when we had cable. Yeah, as a kid, and I, I enjoyed it. It was fine, um, but I'd never seen these. Uh, I never heard about them at all. Actually, no, tell a lie. When I'm doing previous research and episodes, I, I found out, oh, there was a 60s cartoon of these. Because I remember there was a 60s Spider-Man cartoon that has been memed to death that I've never seen. Yeah, seen which is the bits. same people. The same people, yeah. And I didn't re- uh, And then I found out, oh, they did Incredible Hulk and some other things. And I was like, oh, wow, you know. I was, I was taken aback, but I never saw them at the time. Um, and going in, I was expecting it to be similar to the Hanna-Barbera uh, Fantastic, uh, Fantastic Four. Which is a real cartoon. Proper cartoon. <laughs> and it's, this it, it, is not. <laughs> yeah. Not to, not, to, not to put them down, but they really aren't. They it's very really different. Aren't. It's very, very different. different. It's a very different approach. It's not to say it's not, it's not good, it's just different. Yeah, and you're not expecting that, are you? No, I, I didn't know what to expect. When you said it was like a, a direct adaptation, I was, I was expecting, oh, this should be fun. And then it, 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 I mean, we'll go into it, but it really was a direct adaptation in in the most surprising way possible. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Uh, I've 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 been granted a sneak peek at Mr. Hollywood's notes, and I know that, and I knew, I think I knew previously, they are literally photocopying. Yeah, <laughs> in in a special way with a special machine, <laughs> they're taking <laughs> images directly from the comics. Yeah, and using those to slightly animate. Um, which is a much cheaper way of making a cartoon. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's not something you expect from a cartoon. The jerky movements, the, the non-movements. The, what, I, what I love is uh, where people are sort of in an action pose and just stood there still talking. It, it, I, I, I think that's better than a properly animated cartoon. Really? <laughs> yeah, I like it. I think it's funny. It's, I, do. <laughs> I, I really. So I. Yeah, I, I I saw a bunch of these when I was little in the eighties when they came out on on video. Yeah. Um. So they there would have like there's a there's there's one that involved Captain America and there's mm. another tape that is I think just Prince Namor, mm. who was never my favorite character. But I I'll don't have, think Namor's anyone's favorite no, character really. He's not. No. Um. But. I'd, I again, the 1980s was a wasteland of Marvel content. It felt like, um, especially when you don't have anything on demand. Yeah, you videotapes are very, very expensive. Comic, oh, there's yeah. no comic book shop anywhere near where I live. Um, I, I get all my comics from charity shops, secondhand places, mm. um, and so this Namor tape. Yeah, and I remember my 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 I, I would they would rent it. My parents would rent it for me every school holiday. So why there's one of these tapes, there's like four episodes that I've watched endlessly. I have the Namor yeah, song yeah. burned into my mind. Um, oh, the songs. Oh, I can't wait to get onto the songs. But yeah. The songs, yeah, the songs are not like any other <laughs> cartoon series song, are they? They're not cartoony songs. No, the closest thing I could think of would be the 1960s Batman, but even then, not so much. A, there's yeah, proper lyrics. Right. There's yeah. proper lyrics in there explaining it. it it's very upbeat. 
we'll, we'll get on to it. But man, I'm really looking forward to delving into this one. There's so much fun stuff to talk about. But no, I never never watched this as a kid, never, never was aware of it until we started this podcast and I did my research and found mm. out they existed. And... Is, is there? I mean, what 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 were you expecting going in in terms of the st- like? Did it? Hmm. The, the stories from the nineteen sixties comics are very mad. different. Mad, they're yeah. absolutely mad. That Iron Man one was mad. If they, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I was there going like, oh, I get you know, I understand like the original comics back in say the Silver Age and the Golden Age because I, I you know I've, I've I've dabbled in like say the early Batman's and stuff, and you do get this. Uh, feeling of oh wow they're just throwing everything at the wall they're just doing anything and seeing you <laughs> yeah. know just, just, it, it, it doesn't matter they're not going like oh maybe, maybe it'll ruin the uh the, the, the next tone issue and the mystique the, yeah but it, but it's like no it's entertaining it we're doing this because it's fun and i and i'm there going hats mm. off it's fun this is fun but it's very mad the tone is what, what what strikes me about the tone of these and i think it comes across a little bit more with the dramatic the score the musical score mm. not the theme songs but the score in the background which i think is wonderful yeah they I, the thing is even though there's not been an amazing amount of effort done in the animation you know they've done what they could i guess you know with limited amount of time and doing a direct adaptation with from the comics the music and some of the voice acting's not pretty good yeah. for its yeah. time for a cartoon of of you know this is obviously something very low budget done quickly but they mm. the music and the, the the voice voice casting is like yeah good this is this is good stuff so you know they've actually done what they need to do here and it adds tone which a comic mm. i remember when the sandman adaptation came oh, out on, on, on netflix yeah. and how i didn't like that there's a musical score going on mm. which is there to stir up emotions and drive you to, well, to tell you tone, to give you tone, and tone yeah. in a comic book is an almost—it's not almost tone, but there's a lot more weight on the reader mm. and your your kind of assessment. But your your reading of it is the tone. Just, um, I, I can't imagine what mouse our speaker's mouse would be like with the score. Oh gosh, no. Um, and so with this, what was <clears throat> it, it, what's interesting about this is that I think it is equal parts incredibly dramatic. Mm. And also, really ridiculous and camp. Yes, that's <laughs> and, how it and, should be. That's how Marvel is: dramatic and camp. Yeah, yes. like so. Batman in the sixties is just camp, no drama, no tension. Yeah. Everything's camp and silly and fun, and, and it's glorious for it. It's and this brilliant. Is like a mix, isn't it? It's a mix of like how can a guy wearing those boots with little wings on his head yeah. be this dramatic? Yeah. How can how can we have a dramatic reading of? Come on then, small child. You're now a superhero with me, and you have yeah. no powers. Jump into the Nazi machine gun fire, like and yeah, it, it it's equal. It's it's really, and you're right. That might be the majesty and the marvel of 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 Marvel or in comics in general. Maybe this yeah. equal parts yeah. camp and dramatic. Um, yeah. Do you know what? The only uh, I, I, I was playing Metal Gear Solid Three this morning, and. That is also equal parts camp and dramatic. You have the sort of action, you know, terrorist thing going on, all this real stuff. And then you have a man who might be a vampire, someone who can control bees, 
a, 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 a sniper who's a hundred and something years old in a wheelchair. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't. I don't, I don't necessarily. Yes, mad. Yeah, I, 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 very pulpy, very sci-fi, very horror. I wouldn't necessarily say that's that's particularly camp. But well, you should see uh, the haircuts and, the and, and all the dramatic <laughs> right, stuff that happens right. when they do poses and stuff. It's it's hilarious. And did it at all strike you that because you'll know from our episodes, Marvel, the Marvel universe, sort of begins early 60s hmm. and here we are just a handful of years later and bang yeah. they're on the they're on the this like the, this is the a really like so much of what we know and think of these characters doesn't exist yet no 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 exactly we with it i mean i was looking at the things these aren't from captain america volume something these are from tales of suspense these are from the yeah anthology stories you told me about which i, I was like of course because they haven't had enough time to properly no. get their own runs going. It's just, yeah, man. Or, or Hulk started and got cancelled. <laughs> yeah. Which we looked at. Oh, God, yeah. <clears throat> a couple of them, there's an interesting mix in a couple of them. The the Captain America stuff, a lot of it is taken from the, the 1940s, the stories that predate Marvel comics, as we'll get into later. Yeah. And there are I, I timely I, comics. Yeah, because I, I when I was watching the Captain America episode, I was going, "He hasn't been frozen yet. What's going on?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, because um, that doesn't happen in the in the forties. No, um, and the submarine. I think the name or some of the name or stuff is taken from the nineteen forties when when he was knocking around for the first time. So it's an interesting mix, but it's this. It is this really, yeah, getting an ad like so the the Batman, Batman and Superman. They get there. I mean. So the Adventures of Superman TV show, the very famous one, mm. um, which is in black and white and ran for like twelve years. Was that George? Yeah, George. Um, um, was I what? going to say Reeves? George Reeves. That's it. I was going to say How? George Steele. That's a wrestler. Why, why have then, there been two Superman actors with the surname Reeves? I don't know. Popular that's name, I guess. Weird. That is um, weird. That that comes out nineteen fifties. So mm. there's been there's been ten. 13 years, 15 years between the creation of the character and getting that. Batman's TV shows the 60s is created in the late 30s. You know, mm. there's so much time has passed for them to be established themselves. Marvel's getting this bang right when they're they're brand new. They're cooler than anything. Mm. They're so cool in in 1966. Um but it's just yeah, it's a really interesting the characters aren't quite the characters yet the stories haven't quite become sophisticated yet let's just bind <laughs> them on telling him to see what happens we summon mr hollywood in a mm. lot of different ways over a lot of different times. we have never summoned mr hollywood from the past before <laughs> Not so far into the past. He's been to the eighties. He's been to the nineteen eighties, guys. He's never been. He's been to the nineteen seventies. He's never been back to nineteen sixty six. I'm not so allowed we need there. To cast Mr. Hollywood all the way back to nineteen sixty six um, <laughs> to go digging through the trash cans of sixties Hollywood. Oh God, um, that's going to be dig some up, awful trash cans <laughs> to dig up all the dirt on the making of the first ever Marvel. Comics adaptation, the Marvel superheroes, um, Mr. Hollywood. What can you tell us about the making of this series? Well, first of all, uh, the cartoon series was produced by Grant Ray Lawrence Animation, a small company that had mainly done work for commercials. In the early 1960s, the Grant Ray Lawrence art team had done work for popular cartoons like Top Cat, The Jetsons, The Dick Tracy Show, and Mr. Magoo. 
Top Cat, what's the leader of the gang? Close friends get too cold. Top Cat was fantastic. I love Top Cat. I still do. I think Top Cat's a great thing. It's just a bunch of. What was it in this country? What was it in this country? Do you not know this? I thought every Briton knew this slice of trivia. Come on, tell me. What was it called in this country? Top Cat could not be called Top Cat in this country. Why? Because there was a brand of cat food called Top Cat. <laughs> so when it was first shown, and for many, many, many years in this country when it was shown, yeah. it was called Boss Cat. Uh, and they changed it's... the title card, and then nothing else. Boss Cat. So do, 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 do. you always say, I guess they're calling him BC. It sounds like TC, but I guess they must be calling him TC. Well, it's an easy and change that... to make, but Boss Cat sounds more threatening, like he will beat you up with a razor-bladed... <laughs> baseball bat i don't know it just sounds like a guy mm. in a kebab shop serving a cat or <laughs> <laughs> you say cat. what are you having tonight boss cat <laughs> when you said a, ke- a kebab shop serving a cat i i read that oh, sentence right. a different no. way oh dear <laughs> anytime you go into a kebab I mean, not, to be fair it's it's mainly big cities you don't get it around here really but mm. big cities you're always boss when you go into a kebab or a sauce shop. boss yeah yeah great uh, great great way to be Great way to be greeted, I think. Well, I don't. I remember a little bit to the Mister McGill show, mm. um, but I remember really enjoying because Top Cat is, of course, the Phil Silvers show, but with cats. I'm a huge oh, fan of the Phil Silvers show. Who's Phil Silvers um, again? Why do I know Sergeant that Bilko? Sergeant Bilko, yes, yeah. of course, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Phil Silvers is great. Um, but of course, I remember the Jetsons. Dick Tracy, I remember watching as a kid. But around yeah, the same, they, yeah, they repeated it when the movie came out. They started showing that on on Saturday morning television. I'm tempted to go back and watch the movie because I've read how much of a mess it is, and I barely remember it. And I feel I have to see it. I have to witness I, this. I remember it being like, oh, this is going to be like the next Batman, the next <laughs> something or other, and being excited yeah. for it. I, I remember being very excited for the two way wrist radios and the posters. You know, we talked about the black and gold which was established by Ooh. the 1989 Batman movie, then became you know, Jurassic Park and Dick mm. Tracy, and they used that black and gold thing again a lot because it worked once. And I remember getting... I had, the, 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 I had a magazine, I yeah. had some stickers, and I, I just didn't really get into it. And I thought it was going to... This must be great. Look at the colourful characters and everything. I just mm. didn't enjoy it at all. Yeah. yeah. Do you know that guy? Who was it? Who, was, who played him again? Who played uh, Dick Tracy in that film? Beatty. Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty is still to this day trying to get another Dick Tracy film done, apparently. I, I, you've told us that in a previous episode. Yeah, I, I have. I'm, and I watched a video yeah. of him recently in the costume on a video call with someone. And I'm like, oh, this is sad. This is really <laughs> sad. Anyway, let's carry on with this. This isn't sad. On the show's creation, producer Bob Lawrence says, I was associated with a fascinating group of amateurs in Hollywood. Some of the best ones were Ray Patterson and Grant Simmons, and we were doing animation work, programs, and commercials as well. I'm and already the- concerned that the people involved in this are fascinating amateurs. <laughs> I would much rather my cartoons were made by professionals who know how to do cartoons. <laughs> the Hey, this is the Wild West of superhero parties. Yeah, all right. <laughs> and the comic books intrigued me. I'm not a comic book reader per se, but the artwork to me was absolutely alluring. We decided to see if we could animate a book. Originally, my concept was to use the original art and try to utilize that as the basis for the production, but it proved to be too costly and too complicated. We learned that Disney had acquired a machine where you could copy cells, and if we'd all been smart, we would have bought stock in that company. That was the beginning of Xerox. 
They had it locked up in a room in Disney's facility. But Hollywood just is- to just to explain for outside of American audiences, or slightly, you mm-hmm. know, if you're outside of America and you're a bit younger, Xerox is a brand name for a, a big photocopying machine. <laughs> Um, and like it, you, you would have heard it. I heard it. You'd hear it a lot on movies and TV shows. Mm. I guess in the eighties, maybe nineties. Mm. But then I, it seems to have died out because photocopying isn't much of a thing anymore. Yeah. So that's what they're talking about. They're talking about a big photocopying machine. It's which, a brand name, Lynn. It's like when they say tannoy when they mean public address system. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I can't wait till you reach a point where people stop saying Google. We're going to Google that. It's like I'm going to search for it on the line. You, you, know? you can't wait for that. I, actually, no. I, I You're like, really excited for that to happen. I, I, I like Google. <laughs> uh, I like all their products. Uh, there we go. Please don't put us down in the results. <laughs> they had it locked up in a room in Disney's facility, but Hollywood is like a sieve, so we got one, and we locked ours up in a room, and it all made the difference in the world. It was a real lifesaver. One of the secrets of Marvel's success is its ability to draw action right into its panels. Marvel's art is like no other penciling in comics because its artists and production people understand the principle of arrested motion. Iron Man doesn't arrested just Arrested motion arrested. is great, isn't it? Yeah, I lo- I, I, it's like I've never heard that term before, but I mm. immediately get what it means. Yeah, it's like especially for comics. Yeah, arrest, like, like, Jack Jack Kirby's art is yeah. very powerful in that respect. It's, yeah, it's still it's still framed, but you can see the motion. It is. Mm. Iron Man doesn't just stand there; he tenses, or reflect, or relaxes, or jumps, or recoils. The characters don't actually move, and yet that action seems to flow, catching the reader up in a current of activity. Since we wanted to retain this flow for our film, we decided to let their artists carry the ball and the viewer just as they do their own readers. Now, that sounds lovely. does sound lovely. But it also sounds to me like someone covering up for the fact that they just photocopied comic books <laughs> and then animated the mouth. <laughs> isn't, it one, isn't the Arrested Motion wonderful in this live action, in this cartoon? Yeah, it's great. I just wish they moved more. I wish yeah, the motion wasn't arrested. What else, <laughs> what else was he going to say? Yeah, we, um, the budget was really low, so we bought a photocopier, and <laughs> we just basically took 80% of the work out. It was incredible. We you can't bo- say that, can you, to a magazine or an interviewer or something? We wazzed it up and boshed it out. There we go. <laughs> Producer-distributor Steve Krantz of Krantz Films credited his son's Marvel Comics collection for the decision for this project. In desperation, I picked one of the comics up and started to read it. And I realised that no one on television at that time was doing any of the comic books. My sons picked out a number of their favourite characters for me and I went out and got the rights to them. And that's how Superheroes began. It was set up as a living comic book. We used the original comic book art and animated only limited portions of it. It worked quite well because you get very dramatic poses in comic books. Nothing is static. And we used the pow and smash words right on the screen. A 1967 art magazine described the unique animation process of the series. It was the work of artists like Jack Kirby that induced the TV animators to leave the artwork alone. The key is the process known as xerography, would you say? If it's a Xerox machine, I guess it's xerography. Xerography, which is basically the same process used in many offices for the duplication of documents. Just say photocopying. (laughs) (laughs) I can see why that went out of fashion. Through a special refinement of xerography, several $8,000 Xerox machines were specially designed to convert Marvel panels into celluloid squares known as animation cells. 
Now that's actually quite interesting because when it comes to photocopying, it's usually, I mean, even printing today, it's usually just on paper. But yeah. when you think about anything else, because I remember having one where it could actually print out photos. If you had special photo paper, you could actually print out photos. Mm. This is animation cells we're talking about. Clear, plastic. Plastic, plastic. Yeah. yeah. that's And to print on that with a machine, I still find that you know brilliant You know to have access to I don't that. know whether the machine actually printed onto those cells or whether they had another process of transferring. I mean, I don't know. Mm, could have done. Could, mm. well, well, either way, I, I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> Once the original panels are transformed into cells, the Grant Ray Lawrence animators went to work altering and animating. All the word balloons and text boxes had to be removed, along with many backgrounds that would not work on television. The team would then animate small parts of the original artwork into moving. Mouths and facial expressions, hands would have to move, Captain America's shield would have to fly through the air. The magazine World of Comic Art noted that these cartoons were far more mature themed than the standard cartoons of the time, which were made to appeal to small children. I By- think that comes if you if you compare mm. it to like you said that Hanna Barbera Fantastic Four cartoon, or at the time this was come knocking around, there were some Superman cartoons on Superboy and Superman cartoons yeah. on Tally. They are, or or if you forget superheroes, in fact, and you just think of like. Regular cartoons, Flintstones, that kind of thing. It is all very over the top, isn't it? And yeah, this is a bit more. Even though it's people in costumes, it is it is more action orientated. It feels more like an action film or a sci-fi live action sci-fi adventure serial rather than a children's cartoon. Everything's building to a fight, yeah. not to like a wacky misunderstanding. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and then and then eventually we get nothing but this in the eighties with uh, GI Joe, He Man, and Thundercats. It's like, yeah, no, there's, yeah, there's, there's the no greatest wacky, decade. There's no wacky misunderstandings here. Just fighting and merchandising. <laughs> By using the dynamic and action orientated artwork of the comic books, the series eschewed the overly cartoony images that were common in animation of the time. To back up this concept further, Grant Ray Lawrence avoided the use of cartoony sound effects. Robert Lawrence said, In most animation work, the music and sound effects are caricatures to match the cartoony art. For our programme, we rule that out. We have a carefully executed score with the kind of dramatic music you might hear in a feature film. Once you say, yeah, when you say feature film, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it, does, it does feel like a dramatic, a real dramatic score for a live action thing. Also, there were some cartoony sound effects. Which yeah, is, there were bong, there were, bong. <laughs> I was, I was like there that. going, oh, God, this yeah. is... But it, it kind of... You, it pulls you out of it and you go, oh, yeah, this is for kids, isn't it? Uh, it, 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 it takes you know, some of the drama away when you hear a bong when someone's being hit. And I'm like, oh, oh, dear, this is like Batman and Robin where they randomly put in cartoony sound effects into the fights. It's like, this was camp enough. Stop it. <laughs> the songs for each different segment of the show were written and composed by Jacques Urbant, who had composed music for many off-Broadway theatre shows. In the year 2000, the Iron Man theme song was sampled by Ghostface Killer on two tracks for his album, Supreme Clientele. Urbant lost the case when the judge ruled that he was not the owner of the Iron Man theme song. Marvel was. However, that ruling was overturned on appeal, and in 2016, Sony Music settled out of court with Urbant to close the case. This is that sorry, sorry, how many? That's 50 years. 50 years since it was made, and you're having that. Jeez. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm a big, I, I like the Wu Tang Clan an awful lot. And, I'm not a big uh, rapper, but I, I know the Wu Tang Clan. I know you're not a big rapper. You, you are Will Preston, you work in computers. <laughs> <laughs> if you were an international big rapper, I would have tweaked it by now. <laughs> Um, 
Yeah, Wu Tang are awesome, and they do. They have a, a history of sampling an awful lot of the kung fu movies that inspire them yeah. um, into their stuff. And Ghostface Killer, weirdly enough, he has a whole other song called Iron Man that I don't think has this sample in it, and he's also got one called uh, Sleeping on Tony Stark. Sleeping Ooh. on Tony. Um, that's <laughs> just lyrically all about how cool Tony Stark is. That's really um, cool. Yeah, I'm, I have a feeling it plays in the background of the first Iron Man movie. I think I can't remember if it's during the stripper scene. I'm not 100 percent on it that. It might, it might be. Um, I was about but, to say was Met. Wait, wait, was uh, was was he the one who was also in the Wire? They went, no, that was Method Man. Method Man was the one yeah, who popped him in the Man. Wire. Yeah, yeah. Marvel announced the series in the Marvel Bullpen Bulletins of that the November 1966 issues, stating in that monthly fan page's hyperbolic style that <coughs> it won't be long before our swinging superheroes make their star-studded debut on TV, appearing five nights a week. That's right. Five, count them, five nights a week for a half hour each night. So you've got just got time to make sure your set's in good working order. Check your local paper for time and station and prepare to have a ball. So, yeah, the... Um, uh, I don't know how to give too much into an American television system, but these were broadcast via syndication, which mm. means that in America they've got major TV stations like, like we have in, in Britain, Europe. Their, their TV stations are things like... Um, uh, NBC, which is everywhere across America, right? Yeah, yeah. It was not on NBC, uh, oh. and it was uh, not in any of NBC's nationally broadcast uh, competitors. Um, NBC doesn't broadcast all day, though. This is the weird mm. thing about MB about television, right? Yeah, you have a TV channel, yeah, and it's delivered to your house by a local TV station. Ah, uh, like a like the, a like a proxy or a node or something. Yeah, I get it. And the station is signs up to we are the MB we are an NBC See, station, so gotcha. we broadcast NBC programs throughout the day. Mm. We just tune into the NBC channel, and in the morning we have NBC's Good Morning America programs and their news, right? And then from like when that ends at eleven or twelve, we have whatever we want to put on because NBC don't broadcast anything during the afternoon until prime time starts in the mm. evening. Um, and that's when we get CSI and Saturday Night Live on a Saturday and whatever it might be. So in those bits in between where NBC isn't broadcasting anything, the the local TV channels can broadcast other shows that they buy in. Mm. Repeat, so Star Trek was famously only in syndication. Mm. You have to go and buy that. The Oprah Winfrey show is only in syndication. It's not on a major network. The The TV stations directly buy it and purchase it. What it means for TV stations is any advert that they run during those hours and during those programs, they keep all the money from that. Ah, um, okay. And so the better shows you get on during that, it's highly profitable for you because mm. you keep all that cash. Um, repeats of... so. Friends will be broadcast originally on NBC, mm. right? When it goes, has enough episodes made, it goes into syndication. The repeats, the reruns of that are sold off to mm. any local TV station that wants it. And that's very valuable. And this this show 
didn't appear on a major network originally. It was like Star Trek, like the Oprah Winfrey show. It was sold as a package deal to lots of different TV stations. That makes a lot of sense. Wasn't um, Seinfeld the most expensive show to syndicate or something? Was it that? It made the, mo- it made the most money, I think. It made the most um, money. That was it. Because I remember that's one of the reasons why you didn't see it so much on repeat. You saw Friends all the time, but you never really saw Seinfeld uh, in, on repeats in this country. In, in this country, it's not to do with that. It's because Friends was a hit and Seinfeld was a late night obscurity friends was shown at like nine o'clock friday night on channel four yeah seinfeld we only got the last few seasons when it had already been a hit mm. and it was shown at eleven thirty on a tuesday night bloody hell and right after it or right before it was the larry sanders show mm. so you weren't you weren't watching it unless you were already like a co- like a comedy fan staying up late yeah so that's that's yeah. why we don't get repeats of it in this country really mad absolutely mad the voice actors uh, for this show include Bernard Cohen, who was the voice of Captain America and also narrated the series, who would also narrate the 1960s Spider-Man cartoon. Jack Creeley played Thor. He has, he has appeared in Doctor Strange and Videodrome, as well as Doctor Police Strange, Acad- love, not Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange, I'm sorry. <laughs> Doctor Str- sorry, or I should say Doctor Strange or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Is that the full? Yeah. Yeah, you said Doctor Strange again. But Doctor yeah. Strange, damn it! <laughs> I, 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 how, I, I need to rewatch that film as well. How I and love Dormammu. Dormammu! <laughs> <laughs> no. F- <laughs> what's the place he lives in? What's the Dormammu? The dark. No, 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 Doctor Strange. The uh, Sanctum Sanctorum. No fighting in the Sanctum Sanctorum. No, it doesn't work. No fighting in the war rooms. One of my favourite. Oh, I get you. And he was also in Police Academy three and four. The best ones, really. I've never yeah. seen. I've only seen the first one, and I got told they they get they they go downhill after that. Rubbish. They get better with every see, every movie until they're in Moscow. Um, okay. Citizens on Patrol is brilliant. Okay, okay, I'll give that a watch. Uh, Max Ferguson played Bruce Banner and the Hulk. Only acting role, uh, primarily a radio personality and satirist who had a huge radio show in Canada that ran for thirty five years. Thirty five years. Thirty five years. Uh, we, oh, An awful lot of these guys are Canadian because the was it Grant Ray Lawrence is a Canadian company, I think. Oh, I thought I I noticed a lot of these were Canadian, but I thought yeah. it was that um, thing the nineties X Men cartoon had where it's like ah the union laws are different, we can pay him cheaper or whatever it is. Or this yeah, thing. it's a yeah, good point. Yeah, there's a weird law. The, the, the this next one. Uh, next actor is, is one that immediately sprung when, when I saw his face. Uh, John Vernon played Tony Stark, Iron Man, and Prince Namor, the Submariner. Now, his uh, previous credits, uh, sorry, his other credits uh, he got after were was from Batman, the animated series. He played Rupert Thorne. Don't know if you remember that character. Who do you think you're talking to? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Just, just <laughs> making you, sure. Just making sure. Mean? Just making sure, mate. You know, because... <laughs> Bat, uh, yeah. Rupert Thorne uh, was the uh, he was the evil businessman, wasn't he? He was just yeah yeah. yeah. Fan- he was in the nineties Fantastic Four cartoon as Doctor Doom, Spider Man the nineties cartoon as Doctor Strange, not Doctor Strange Love, <laughs> the Incredible Hulk nineties cartoon as General Ross. But but more recognisable to me, and I'm sure loads of other people as the Mayor in Dirty Harry and the Dean in Animal House. Man, yeah, God. I've got I've got the Dirty Harry films on DVD. They're a right laugh, <laughs> even though he's an actual nightmare. The character of Dirty Harry is the bad guy. Well, not the <laughs> bad guy, but geez, yeah. Uh, Don Mason, who plays Rick Jones, uh, was Troy Tempest in Stingray. Stingray, St- Stingray. Man, 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 man. 
I'm really tempted to go back and watch Marina, Aquamarina. <laughs> that was the first show I'd ever seen that had a different outro song to an intro song. Oh, the yeah. The first yeah, yeah. one is all ba 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 ba. Things are gonna blow up, and the song at the end is I love this girl, this underwater girl. <laughs> I was I was listening to a good podcast called uh, Scarred for Life, and they were talking about the uh, Captain Scarlet cartoon, and they were saying how dark it. Not cartoon, sorry. Captain Scarlet TV show and how oh, dark man. it was and they're talking like he dies the first the first thing is he dies and gets brought back to life by aliens to be mind controlled yeah, and, and there's a zombie chasing him uh, yeah. and, and then there's like the, on the uh, during the end credits they're showing him in perilous situations where he will probably die and it's like bloody hell that's really dark anyway the, anyway. the thunder the thunderbirds and mm. Captain Scarlet stuff like they they aren't meant to be like cartoons. They're meant to be like yeah. a real live like like a cheap. A, it's a it's a it's a cheaper way and a more controlled way of making an action shit series. And so that you should kind of go into it thinking it's more like yeah um, the 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 British Avengers TV show yeah. or the Prisoner yeah. or something like that. It's crazy. I found it something from that podcast as well because they had Jerry Anderson's. Um a son on apparently jerry anderson hated using puppets <laughs> yeah so there's a series i can't remember the name of it me and peter j watched it um a while back yeah it's um it's a show that he did right at the end it's terrible but what it is, is oh it, yeah, which it, one it's all puppets yeah. except for the close-ups of the hands yes <laughs> and people coming in and out of buildings yeah. and then when it's a person talking it's a puppet again yeah. it's awful and weird they did and that it's about thunderbirds oh. i swear they did that in thunderbirds the hands mm, no because mm. it was the reason it was done was because it was clunky and other stuff anyway yeah anyway last of all uh, len carlson who played quicksilver loki and odin extensive work in voiceovers for cartoons but he played Senator Robert Kelly in the 90s X-Men cartoon. Do you remember that character? Do you know who that is? Uh, Senator Robert <laughs> Kelly in the 90s X-Men cartoon. Yes, Rob. Yeah. I remember who, 90, who Senator Robert Kelly is in the 90s X-Men cartoon. Why wouldn't I know who Senator Robert Kelly is in the 90s X-Men cartoon? God, I hate you. The, the, the Marvel superheroes was broadcast in syndication on over 40 TV stations across the United States and was sold around the world to 14 different countries, including the United Kingdom. Never saw it. Never saw it. Well, it's been like in the 60s, you weren't born. Exactly, I never saw it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, good, good point. That was, that was quite a recovery there. For WNAC-TV in Boston, Arthur Pierce portrayed a live-action Captain America who hosted the show with other actors portraying Doctor Doom, Hulk, and Bucky. That's kind of like um, when they would show... That's how, do you remember, do you remember if you remember Elvira? Who will become quite famous oh, in America? Oh, who, who who can't forget Elvira? I, I never know, saw the right? show, but you know we all know who she is. Elvira and some other so, we, um, so what they do is they they'd hire an actor to play a character that introduced a block mm. of programming. Yeah, the reason yeah. why clowns are this is going to sound weird, but do you know why clowns aren't much of a thing in this country and they're no. massive in America? Is because there was like one kind of like Bobo the Clown or something was an yeah. actor hired by a TV station to host a block of children's programming, and it yeah. became so good and popular it spawned lots of um, it was sold in different stations and spawned lots of competitors. So in America, that's why you have like children's parties with a clown, and clowns are like synonymous with kids, and we don't really have it over here. No. They just live in the circus and they try and steal from you. Because they're carnies. We don't really trust crowns over here. Wow. But Uh, that's where all this this, idea of hiring an actor to 
portray a little role and then introduce a segment of a thing is quite an interesting thing. We don't really have too much of it over here. Well, I mean, the only thing we had is like Saturday morning, you know, children's TV. Oh, in the that's morning, true. Where, where you don't really have an actor; you get a guy. No, who it's a magazine pu- show. Magazine yeah. show, and then you have a puppet next to them. They're talking to the puppet. <laughs> uh, Grant Lawrence Animation did not have a long life. After the Marvel superheroes, the studio delivered Max, the two thousand year old mouse. <laughs> what a title! Incredible. And I mean, rock- I'm just imagining it's about a very old mouse that's dying and lying on a bed. I don't know. I don't know that the the, the the framing of that title, Max, the two thousand year old mouse. He's so old, it's brilliant. And I'm like, oh god, that's a skeleton. I actually wonder if it's some sort of take off of the old um, comedy sketch, a two thousand year old man, which oh. was um, uh, the uh, Mel Mel Brooks. Was it Mel Brooks? Carl, yeah, Mel Bro- yeah, Carl Reiner. Which is, Carl, Carl Reiner, which is an incredible sketch. It's an inc- it's really really funny. I was sort of thinking, saying, is Carl Reiner? Because thinking, no, that's Rob Reiner. I'm thinking of, yeah. But I, yeah. I don't know how yeah. you do that with a <laughs> with a mouse. But with there a you mouse, go. yeah. And uh, Rocket Robin Hood, which that sounds aw- that generally sounds awesome. That that sounds, sounds like, like so- Robin Hood in the future with rockets. I'm sorry, that does not sound like a 60s cartoon. That sounds like an 80s cartoon. With a rocking theme tune. I don't know how you go bankrupt if you make that. Yeah, before going bankrupt in 1968. They were ahead of their time, Rob. They were ahead of their time. They had Rocket Robin Hood. (laughs) This was the beginning of TV success for Marvel. The following year, Hanna-Barbera released the successful Fantastic Four Saturday morning cartoon. And the very first Spider-Man cartoon was also broadcast, which would last until 1970. Grant Ray Lawrence Animation did produce the Spider-Man cartoon, but then went out of business after the first series and had to be replaced by Krantz Animation. It's 1966 when this um, animated series comes out, and it doesn't come out in a vacuum. We have to look at the context of the time and the era to understand where these shows come from, what is influencing them, Um, and we do that by looking at the world of 1966. Mm. Um, Me and Will weren't around yet. No. My My mum was a child. My dad was 10. Oh, wow. Uh, He doesn't remember this, but there you go. Um... Uh, yeah, the USSR Luna 10 spacecraft becomes the first man-made object to orbit the moon. That's exciting. Um, yeah, it's a big it's a big moon, it's a big kind of space-based era of the 60s. Mm. NASA have five separate uh, Gemini space missions that do different various things. Um, it's also an incredible time for fashion because the miniskirt becomes a must-have. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> Thank God also, for women's liberation. We also get the world's first supermodel. Leslie Hornby finds herself propelled to the heights of international fame as Twiggy, and she'll mm. turn up in a bunch of movies at this period of time as well. Um, do you remember Twiggy? Do you I remember... Like a, I, yeah, as an but, older woman, she'd be a, like a TV personality in this country. Well, I remember when we got shown at school like uh, you know, history programs about the 60s, you know, for kids like saying, hey, this is what happened, and Twiggy popped up a lot, like is this yeah. she was a major thing. Yeah, I, I, I before, feel no Twiggy. Before the It Girl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, England. I mean, it's a proud and great year. England defeat Germany for the third time. Um, this time, stakes are a little bit lower. <laughs> uh, stop them from conquering the world twice. You're welcome. And then we uh, we defeated them in the 1966 World Cup final. It's coming, um, up, it's coming up. Giving birth to the incredible chant, 
two World Balls and one World Cup, which is chanted <laughs> very regularly on the terraces uh, and in the faces of very confused travellers and tourists. Mm. Um, a medical breakthrough occurs in Houston uh, with the world's first artificial heart implant um, taking place. Not transplant, implant. That's amazing. Um, I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> I th- it might be a pacemaker or something, you know. Or something. Yeah, ma, that it might, might be, be a yeah. component. I know from doing the history, because when we looked at Tony Stark and his heart and everything, I looked at, well, when was the world's first heart transplant? Um, and Ooh. it was around this time. So maybe that, maybe, I, maybe I've... You could have influenced mm, that, do you think? Or maybe or, I've got the, 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 the information a little bit wrong and it means transplant. I'm not sure. You weren't um, around there, Rob. It's fine. You can forget. The actor Ronald Reagan was elected governor of California. The, the first step... What's that mean? What's he doing, folks? That's, we don't that's, know. That's Back to the Future. The actor, Ronald Reagan, uh, who's president of 1985. <laughs> the actor. The first step on his eventual path to the presidency. In uh, music, the beach... The bit, the bit, the bit, the bit. The Pet Sounds is released by the Beach Boys. Um, the Beatles' John Lennon is mm. quoted in the London Evening Standard newspapers as saying, we're more popular than Jesus now, um, which does not go down very well. In August... Following the publication of this remark, uh, there are Beatle protests and uh, burnings of albums um, across America's Bible Belt and in this country as well. Mad, absolutely. Shortling mad. along there, Will, did you enjoy that? Yeah, I, I, I know I enjoyed that because because I, I always I always find that hilarious. Like, oh, we're bigger than we're bigger than Jesus or whatever, and then it's like, how dare he say that? I'm going to burn these things. Hopefully, that will stop people listening to the Beatles. No, it just it just gives them more coverage. <laughs> In um, Kimmy Schmidt, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, mm. they there's a football team that have a racist mascot, <laughs> and the company come up with a plan. People are burning there. If they when they change the mascot to make mm. it woke, people are buying the merch to burn it. So they keep going more and more woke <laughs> to sell more and more merch. <laughs> That's it's a good story. Amazing. The top singles of 1966, California Dreaming by the Mamas and the Papas. Will, give us some of that. All the leaves are brown, All the leaves are brown and the sky is grey. And, and the sky is grey. Uh, what Becomes of the Broken Hearted by Jimmy Ruffin. <laughs> I love this jukebox. Last Train to Clarksville by the Monkees. Past. Don't read that uh, The one. last train to Clarksville oh. and I'll meet you at the station. <laughs> Um, these boots are made for walking by Nancy Sinatra. Like a Quentin Tarantino movie. It is. And yeah. Day Tripper slash We Can Work It Out, double A side by the Beatles. <sighs> what a song. Not going to sing it. Because of uh, Refuses, you know, copyright. Because of copyright. his religious beliefs. <laughs> no, no, no. Because of copyright. If we do it, we have to pay yeah, for the rights. To, yeah. And the money will go to the estate of Michael Jackson and he touch kids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the TV shows of uh, of the night in 1966, a year after the pilot aired, Star Trek begins broadcasting its first series. Fantastic. Long delay between those two things. Mm. Uh, CBS backs out of plans to broadcast the movie Psycho, deeming the movie too <laughs> violent for at-home viewing. Have you seen wow. Psycho? I love Psycho. I mm. think it's a, still a fantastic movie. Yeah, I agree. Gorgeous. Great Hitchcock, Hitchcock can make a good movie. Yeah, um, he's an awful person, but he can make a good movie, much like the, a lot of other people in Hollywood. 
The Batman television series starring Adam West and Burt Ward debuts on ABC. What a year so far. I know. The Thunderbirds airs its final episode. That's a heartbreaker. I take that back. What a terrible year. (laughs) (laughs) The Fantastic Voyage then launches the career of Raquel Welsh. Good year again. Good year. We're back on good year. Definitely a good year. Uh, The top TV shows of 1966 include The Dick Van Dyke Show. I if you can if you can watch it, Will the Dick Van Dyke show is really good. Mm. I, I mean, it's, I like um, Dick Van Dyke. I think he's a great enter- a great entertainer, and I'm surprised he's still with us. He's really it's a sitcom yeah. where he plays a comedy writer for TV mm. and his family and stuff. It's really good. Um, Bewitched, which is also really good. Mm-hmm. Mission Impossible, also oh, really good. I, I used to watch the TV show as a kid. It was great. It was yeah. so good. Um, Leonard Nimoy and everything. Yeah. Um, I was always disappointed that in the, aside from the first one, and even the first one's not too mission. None of the Mission Impossible movies do do they do very little Mission Impossible style stuff. Well, the Mission Impossible TV show was all about subterfuge and careful planning, while the films were just action stuff, action spy things. And it's like that's fine, you know, but it's not what the original TV show was about. I remember one of them; they had to get a guy who used to like be un- be a- under Adolf Hitler. And he has a secret, and basically they drug him, dr- uh, put Martin Landau in a Hitler costume, and like trying to get the information out of him in this <laughs> set. And they did that sort of thing in the, the beginning of the first Mission Impossible film, where they have the set up. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. And it's like Brian Palmer knew. Brian Palmer knew. Yeah, it, it, that's how. That's what Mission Impossible was. It was about subterfuge and trickery. The um, all the big shows at the time, the Andy Griffith Show, which of course launched uh, the career of um, Ron Howard. No um, way. Cool. Yeah, he's the plays the little the little the cheeky little kid in the Andy Griffith mm. show and starts his career. Bonanza The <laughs> Beverly <laughs> Hillbillies. I used to watch a lot of the Beverly Hillbillies as a kid when on repeats. Mm. If you ever saw that, that was if you know if you didn't see that show? I, I remember I I know I know of the show, but I remember when they did the movie Hilarious. version a lot later and it probably was bad. But all and I can course, think of is the theme tune to Bonanza, which has popped up in so many things. Bonanza. Bonanza. In the movie world, entertainment pioneer Walt Disney uh, dies. I don't need to tell you who Walt Disney is. There's a next. There's a bunch of sentences there about who he is. You all we know who Walt Disney we, is. We he don't died. need. To, we don't even need to tell you how to feel about that. <laughs> Sixty-five years old. It's different. It depends on uh, your uh, which religion you are. Because uh, one of the religions he hated, um, <laughs> <laughs> a man for all seasons wins six Academy Awards, including Best Picture at the Oscars. I genuinely love that movie. Is it a good film? Um, really good film. Right, I'll everyone's that in that movie, mate. Every Orson Welles is in it. Uh, young John Hurt is in it. Who, oh um, young, my god, I have to see that now. It's about this guy. It's about um, how awful. Um, uh, Henry the oh god six wives uh, I can't Henry the name now Henry, Henry the Eighth. Eighth. I was going to say Henry the Conqueror it's how awful <laughs> Henry the Eighth is and this guy that had to play all these political roles it's really really good um, was, I, I like the way you got mixed up you're going to call him Henry the Conqueror but in my head I thought uh, uh, Alexander the Great and, and then I suddenly thought he, for, Henry, for, for Henry wept for there were no more wives left to behead to conquer oh, uh, <laughs> the highest grossing films of the 1966 Hawaii Never heard of it. Um, grossed. Uh, uh, it's about missionaries, two Christian missionaries okay. that go to Hawaii mm. and try to Christianize the Hawaiians. Um, mm. I didn't enjoy it. Um, it made $15.6 million in 1966 money. Will, you're the maths guy. What's that in today's money? $148 million. Oh, oof. 
Um, the second highest grossing movie was The Bible in the beginning, which mm. took in, I'm told, just 15 million. Will, do some maths. 143 million. He's so quick. The Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, very famous movie, um, made 14.5 million at the box office. Will, math me. 138 million. Am I thinking oh. that song's right? Was it Who's Afraid of the Big Was it Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? What you, what's that question? I, Am I thinking this song is right and you sang a song? I, 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 what do you I, want me to say? Do you remember that song? No. Okay. They used to. Put, um, yeah, anyway, sorry. The Sand Pebbles took 13.5 million. I don't think I remember that movie. Nope. Um, 13.5. But if we took that money and teleported ourselves into the future, what would 13.5 million be right now, Will? 133 million. Incredible. And the best <laughs> film of the year for my money and for a lot of other people's money was A Man for All Seasons, which took 12.8 million which I'm going to say is probably about six million. Is that right? No? Six million in today's money from 12.8 million. What? What is it? How much is it then? Correct me. 131 million, Rob. Oh, of course. Do you you notice the pattern earlier? It goes up. Money goes up. That's how inflation works. Oh, okay. Money goes up. Uh, Not my money. My money goes down. Um, (laughs) In the realm of superheroes and uh, DC and Marvel comics, the first Batman movie is released um, starring Anna West and Burt Ward. What a uh, film. Yeah, it really is. It's really, really funny. Mm. It's the first movie I think my godson watched all the way through when he was about six. Um, Yeah, he loved it. Great film. Um, It cost like 1.3 million. Mm. Made 3 million at the box office. The movie, get this, the original plan for why to do a movie Mm. was they wanted to make a movie to generate interest in the TV show. Like, the movie was going to be an advert for the TV series. Okay. <laughs> Which is an insane plan. And it didn't happen because 20th Century Fox said, no, that's, we're not, no, we don't own no. the TV series. So we're not doing this. It didn't happen. But when the TV series became a hit, 20th Century Fox then said, right, if you want to make a movie mm. based on the fact that we've already paid for and built the costumes, the sets, and the props. <laughs> then here's a bit more money, and you can film it on the weekends or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so there we go. DC Comics also had two cartoons on the air in 1966. Um, CBS aired both The New Adventures of Superman and The Adventures of Superboy, both shows made by Filmation. Um, and Filmation, like... Is like not not quite like the Xeroxing that we get in this, mm. but they have an awful lot of reusing stock animation. Superman flying, it's the same shot used again and again. Superman changing the Clark Kent, it's the same shot used again and again. Well, and you stuff get, like that. You get that throughout the sixties and seventies and even eighties. There's so much reusing. I I don't think until it's, it's anima- mainly filmation. Yeah, yeah. I don't think until you when you reach digital uh, animation that you, this stops happening. You think? I, I think that when was happened... digital animation done? Because I, That's, I don't know. Because mm. I didn't see it in any of the '90s stuff. Not not '90s. I'm talking about more today when you see more animation, like like adult animation and stuff. You know, like Adult Swim stuff. You see a lot less reused. But stuff. I'm saying I didn't. I seen a lot less of it in the '90s. Oh, okay. Oh, that's fine. I don't remember there being any stock footage of Wolverine walking down a corridor in X Men or Spider Man. Mm. There's a little bit of that digital stuff in Spider Man, isn't there? A little bit, yeah. They pay, they pay for, like, three digital things and then use them again and again. Well, when I say digital, I don't mean CG. I mean, like, you know, using a computer. No, I, to I understand. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, anyway, anyway, we're off topic. We're off topic we don't, again. We can't understand each other, and it's no. frustrating. Uh, in the Marvel Comics, uh, in Fantastic Four, 
Marvel stories reach their highest heights, I imagine. Uh, yeah, I guess so. In terms of the highest heights, in terms of like art and storytelling and scope as well, the Galactus Trilogy comics come out, introduce both the Silver Surfer and Galactus for the very first time. Later the same year, the Fantastic Four travel to Wakanda and meet the Black Panther for the first time. Hit nice. after hit with Fantastic Four. Bloody hell. Steve Rogers um, meets Agent S.H.I.E.L.D. Sharon Carter, and flashbacks reveal her connections to Aunt Peggy. We get Peggy Carter for the very first time. Um, also that year, the Cosmic Cube appears for the first time, the item that would eventually become known as the Tesseract in the MCU. Very good. In the pages of Thor this year sees the uh, the debut of both the High Evolutionary and Ego the Living Planet. And perhaps more importantly, Mary Jane Watson is first revealed to the readers after being uh, a faceless character <laughs> for two years. Uh, John Romita gets the pencil from Steve Ditko um, and uh, draws a beautiful, glamorous redhead um, ending a series of jokes that apparently Mary Jane is very plain and not very nice looking. Um, she hereby utters the immortal line when she sees Peter for the first time, face it, Tiger, you just hit the jackpot. Episode 100. We're going to go behind the page. We're going to go all the way back. We're going all the way back in the TV show that we're looking at to the very first Marvel adaptation ever. So behind the page, let's go back, all the way back, to chart the beginning of Marvel Comics, Will. Let's go. And... To do that, we need to look at the father of Marvel Comics, a very important figure, not Stanley, Martin Goodman. Um, mm. Born Mo Goodman in New York in 1908. Um, Goodman's parents were Jewish immigrants who had left Lithuania and settled in uh, Brooklyn, where he spent his early years. Um, Mo Goodman didn't have an easy start to life as the Great Depression hit America um, when he turned about 1920. Um, he spent... He changed his name to Martin Goodman, or at least that was the name he went by, um, and spent a bit of time uh, riding the railroads, looking for work up and down New York, um, living in hobo camps that cropped up um, all across the country. He did eventually get a job working at a uh, magazine distribution company called Eastern Distributing Corporation. Um, he worked under the guy that would go on to found Archie Comics mm. and kind of bring the world Sabrina and Archie and Jughead and those kind of things. Um, he worked as a junior assistant, and he spent three years learning all the ins and outs of the magazine publishing business, eventually becoming one of several distribution managers. But like many companies during the Great Depression, Eastern Distributing went bankrupt and Martin Goodman lost his job. Quickly found his feet because that editor that hired him went on to um, start and work for a new company called Newsstand Publications. Um, and he thought very fondly of Martin Goodman and brought him in not as a distribution manager but as an editor. Oh. So at the young age of 25, Martin Goodman was in charge of his own stable of magazines he was good. putting out yeah he was putting out magazines and was in charge of responsible for the for everything all the content and the times and getting all the work in pulp magazines as they were called at the time mm. comic books haven't been invented yet so young adults and teens thrilled to read action adventure stories in pulp magazines stories 
that brought us characters like The Shadow, mm. Doc Savage, Conan the Barbarian, Flash Gordon. Martin Goodman was publishing in that realm, um, in a world where comic books didn't exist yet. And he put out comics, uh, not comics at all, as I just described. <laughs> he put out magazines like All-Star Adventure Fiction, mm. Complete Western Book, Mystery Tales, Real Sports Stories, <laughs> Star Detective. <laughs> Um, so you can see that mix of there'll be some fantasy horror, there's it, some westerns. It's, it's, it's doing all the genres. I love that sports drama comic books. We never really, the only thing we had in this country was Roy of the Rovers. Roy the Rovers yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. Shooter and Goalie and stuff. Mm. Yeah. Um, and one of the science fiction magazines that Martin Goodman was publishing um, in the 1930s was called Marvel Science Stories. Ooh, it's the first time that that name is associated mm. with Martin Goodman. And then in 1939, the world changes forever when Action Comics hits the newsstands and we're introduced to Superman and the superhero for the first time. The incredible popularity of Superman led to a rush from publishers to create similar characters and a scramble to have a similar hit. Mm. We saw that when we did our deep dive into the 1989 Batman movie and how suddenly Bob Kane is like, what if it was a guy with wings, like a bat? <laughs> um, that was, you know, there was just this big push from publishers. We need someone like Superman. Superman's selling loads. We need someone like Superman. Mm. <clears throat> In 1939, Martin Goodman now has his own publishing um, network. He has a series of different magazine publishing companies that he runs. Um, that sounds grander than it is. They don't all make lots and lots of money. Mm. He just... Like, he'll publish stuff for teens and adults under this name, and he'll publish something for puzzle books and for kids under this name, and he'll publish magazines for women and the housewife under this name. Mm. And it's all run out of one office, basically. Yeah. In 1939, he wants to jump on this trend and get into the superhero Superman business. But there's no such thing as a comic book company. It doesn't exist. Ah, I see. So publishers like Martin Goodman, if you want to make a comic book, you have to outsource that work to a studio, what what would become called the comic book packager. Right, <laughs> okay. So you're Will Preston, Superman comes out, mm. it's a big hit. You publish magazines where, pulp magazines where um, text stories are printed mm. with some artwork, but that's not a comic book. You do not have anyone that works for you that can make a comic book. <laughs> Nobody does. It doesn't exist yet. So you go to a comic book packager and outsource the job. Um, and they put together a, a, literally a pack. They have working in their studio writers, artists, inkers, letterers, and an editor. And they will create a book of comics pages for you. You buy them and then you put them together, publish them, sell them, and make the money. Mm. You pay them a flat rate, and you hope to make back that and a profit from sales, but your yeah. sales are not guaranteed. So Martin Goodman goes to a comic book pack packager called Funnies Inc. <laughs> and basically said, give me something like Action Comics. Yeah, yeah. Give me something like Superman. And if you remember Superman and Action Comics, it's not all Superman. Superman is a short story, and there's several short stories in it. That's how comic books were at the time. They were mm. an anthology. Um, so Martin Goodman publishes as part of his magazine company Marvel Comics issue number one 
using that old Marvel science sci-fi history name. Yeah. He takes Marvel, he likes that name. We get Marvel Comics, issue number one. October of 1939 is a publishing date. It would have come out a few months before that. And it featured a series of characters. The important ones, though, are a writer-artist called Carl Burgos created an android superhero that burst into flames called the Human Torch. Mm. And it's such a striking visual, a man on fire burning his way through metal to grab a bad guy. It's horrifying, it's exciting, it's dramatic. That's brilliant. That is such a striking visual, it becomes the front cover Mm. to Marvel Comics issue number one. Inside, Paul Gustavuson's costume detective, the angel, who doesn't really hit strike the same note as the others, but importantly as well as the Human Torch, Bill Everett's aquatic uh, anti-hero, I guess, Namor, Uh. Prince Namor, the Submariner. Marvel Comics was a hit right from the very start, man. It sold the initial print run, 80,000 copies, sells. I was just going to say, uh, just a second there before you go, because I just, when you said anti hero for Prince Name, I'm like, oh yeah, he is kind of an anti hero, isn't he? Because he hates us. Oh, land- yeah. He hates us Landies. That's what he calls us Landies. We'll get into it. Yeah. <laughs> He's a flip flopper. Yeah. Is his best friend Doctor Doom or Captain America? It's hard mm. to tell. So 80,000 copies sells out. And it prompts Goodman to produce a second printing and a third. Eventually, Marvel Comics issue one sells 800,000 copies. Wow. It's a massive hit. And Martin Goodman, who is not a creative person, is a shrewd publisher. He knows this business. Mm. He's been able to thrive during a depression by publishing magazines for all sorts of different people and following trends and when he sees those numbers he knows what he has to do to keep this success going he has to create his own comic book company he has to put his efforts now into this growing trend that superman and batman has created with a hit on his hands goodman starts to assemble an in-house staff that would work for his magazine company that would make comic books for him no more outsourcing so he literally hires away from Funny's Inc. Uh, a bunch of the staff that, that work there. Um, there's a, a, a very well thought of writer artist called Joe Simon. Mm. He brings Joe Simon in to be a writer and an artist, but also you're the most experienced, you're going to be the editor. Mm. Simon brings with him his frequent collaborator, Jack Kirby. There it is. And there's also another artist called Sid Shaw's on the books. Mm. And when that's in place, Goodman forms another one of his different companies. He's got this company that published the the the, the, mag, the pulp magazines for the for the young people. He's got this that publishes housewife magazines. He's going to form a new company for comic books. Timely Comics mm. is formed, and they set about diving into the superhero craze. After a year of, of, of successful comics featuring Namor and the Human Torch, Timely Comics finds its true smash hit when Joe Simon and Jack Kirby create Captain America at the end of 1940. Captain America Comics features a front cover of Captain America punching Hitler <laughs> right in the face. This predates, it's, it's several months before Pearl Harbor. America's not in the war yet. It was a controversial cover. It's incredibly popular. It, it went to the war when they published that. 
Nope. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but look, you got, I mean, Joe Simon, Jack Kirby, you got a lot of Jewish um, artists and writers involved, and they knew what to do, man. Mm, that's um, good. Captain America Comics issue one sells very nearly one million copies. And it gives Timely wow. a character that can rival Superman and Batman in popularity, which is no small feat. Um, so Timely was built around the big three, Captain America, Namor, and the Human Torch. And they would team up to fight the Nazis on adventures together. Captain America would have Bucky, his young compatriot, and the Human Torch would have um, another, a, a, a young boy that could also burst into flames and control his fires called Toro. Um, and Namor had nobody. And they would <laughs> fight Nazis. They would destroy submarines and battleships, and it was a big, full-on superheroes against the uh, Nazi uh, regime and the war and everything. Very popular and would rival Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman in in this period of time. But Timely also introduced a number of other wartime superheroes, like Miss America, the Thin Man. <laughs> uh, he was very, very flat, like Flat oh, Eric. Right, okay, I get um, it. The, the Vision, who oh, was an yeah. alien, not a robot. Nothing to do with the one we know. Um, and, of course... A super speedster dressed all in yellow called the Whizzer. Um, <laughs> he had to be dressed in yellow, Rob, didn't he? Had he to did. be yellow. Another employee that Martin Goodman hires in 1939 to work at Timely Comics was his wife's young cousin. A 20... No, a teenager Ooh. by the name of Stanley Martin Lieber. And Stanley begins as a general assistant in the art studio. This is, of course, Stan Lee, mm. if I haven't made that clear. <laughs> I, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could tell from your tone that you're leading up to that. <laughs> in, in Stan has said about his uh, very first job in the comic book business, in those days, the artists dipped the pen in ink. So my job was to make sure the ink wells were full. <laughs> yes. That was it. I washed the brushes. I made sure the inkwells were full. Yeah. I picked up their litter. I got them their lunch and their coffee. I did proofreading. I erased all the pencil lines from the finished pages for them. Mm. Um, that was Stanley's job. Um, over time, he began contributing ideas and stories and eventually scripts for Timely Comics, adopting the pen name Stan Lee. Um, in 1941, he even co-created his very first comic book character, the terrifying destroyer, super-powered figure with a skull-like face that fought Nazis in war-torn Europe. Ooh. And then Joe Simon and Jack Kirby quit Timely Comics in 1941, not long after creating Captain America. There's a big dispute with money uh, between them and Martin Goodman, who they claimed wasn't paying them the royalties that they had agreed on. Um, they were making... Um, something like between seventy and eighty-five dollars, mm. um, uh, uh, maybe a week or a month or whatever, whatever that deal was, or per issue. Sorry, per issue. Yeah, um, and they weren't getting enough. They signed with National Comics, mm. who would go on to become DC Comics, mm. and they were then getting paid two hundred and fifty dollars per issue. Um, which is what they were worth, and Martin Goodman just was not going to pay them. Um, that leap 
85 to 250. That's massive. Yeah, that's that's a huge increase. <clears throat> so the very small time Timely Comics has got three employees. Two of them left. <laughs> One of them is the editor. So when they leave, Martin Goodman looks around the office, <laughs> sees 19-year-old Stan and <laughs> says, "You're the new editor." I like to think that 19-year-old Stan still had a mustache and the same voice. <laughs> Exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> exactly the same. I'm just a kid. Who, <laughs> <laughs> oh, me? So he's appointed the interim editor of the company. Mm. Uh, basically, Martin Goodman was like, I can trust my wife's family to not quit or betray, basically to do whatever I say mm. and to not run off. And he'll fill the role until I can find someone else. Um, but Stan... At 19, shows a knack for this business like you wouldn't believe. For turning around scripts quickly, coming up with the right dialogue, and marshalling artists to to work to these very tight deadlines. Especially when they're not getting paid what they're worth. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's very clear. Dark times. It's exactly the same now, so nothing has changed. Um, Wah, wah. Stan would actually remain in the role of editor-in-chief from 1941 through to 90, the early 70s. Mm. Decades. He'd remain. The interim becomes the long term. It's only broken up when um, Stan goes to, to, to fight in the Second World War. Wow. Um, the post-war, we've talked before about how the superhero fad is over, and it was seen as just that. Mm. The interest in superheroes wanes, and Martin Goodman basically directs Stan Lee to creatively follow the next. What's the next fad? Mm. A variety of genres uh, that the market goes towards. In the nineteen, the late forties, uh, we go into hot. We go into uh, romance comics, mm. and that carries us into the fifties. They're very popular in the fifties. Around the early fifties. And the mid fifties, we get into Marvel. Uh, timely gets into horror comics, mm. and then it's westerns. Cowboys are popular again <laughs> because all you think of all the movies at that time. Yeah, and then kaiju, big big monsters. Is that the popularity um, of Godzilla? Yeah, and and King Kong and things oh, like that. Of course, King Kong. How can yeah. I forget? That's kind of the late fifties and into the sixties. Yes, he, yes, King Kong. Then that is technically a kaiju because <laughs> when mm. I think kaiju, I think Jap- more Japanese. But, yeah, yeah. No, these well, these are yeah. These aren't. You don't get like a, a reptilian type creature. It's more like weird aliens that are massive. Yeah, that come down to earth and stuff like that. Martin Goodman had no love for superheroes. Didn't hate them. Didn't love them. It's just he's not a creative person. He doesn't really care. He's a trend follower. Mm. When he started, when he started with Marvel Comics number one, he was following the Superman Batman trend, and then he follows other trends. That means we got to get out of this superhero business because it's not selling anymore. Hmm. They tried to revive Captain America in the fifties; it didn't work. They tried to revive uh, Namor in the fifties; it didn't work. So they just put them to bed. Um, it's a difficult time. Um, the post-war era for, mm-hmm. for this company, um, they lose all their um, all the all the actual printing press companies that would print their and publish their comics. They they are not interested anymore. And in fact, Martin Goodman has to go kind of cap in hand 
to his direct competitor, National Comics, that would become known as DC Comics, and use them as the publishers. Oh, wow. That print and distribute the comics. And they do not want to print and distribute lots of comics for their competitor. Yeah. Because it's all about having market share. Yep. So overnight, this comp- Martin Goodman's company goes from making 50 to 60 comics to DC saying, we'll publish, but only 12 comics a month. Wow. Which severely slashes what he can do. Um, in the 50s, Martin Goodman ditches the name Timely Comics and rebrands the company Atlas Comics. Yep, I remember that. And then in 1956, there's another trend for Martin Goodman to follow. Mm. The editor of uh, DC Comics, Julius Schwartz, revives some superheroes. Superman and Batman have still been published because they are the trendsetters, the market leaders. Mm. They're still being published. We know how they completely changed the kind of style they were doing, and it was all very silly comics, but the superhero, the action-adventure superhero, was kind of gone. Julius Schwartz revives the superhero archetype and gets a lot of success. We get an updated version of The Flash, um, a very different character in the in the in the war wartime era. It was a guy with a, a, a tin hat on his head. Yeah, yeah, I remember the tin hat. In the uh, in the mid fifties, we get the Flash. Everyone knows the red suit, head to toe, the lightning bolts. It's Barry Allen as the Flash. Big success. The next one to do is to take the um, the strange Eastern mysticism caped character from the uh, hmm. 1940s Green Lantern we'll do something with that so we get Hal Jordan who has a sp- uh, an alien space ring and he gets we get the, the Hal Jordan the, the Green Lantern character everyone knows begins in the mid 1950s thanks to Julius Schwartz those two are big successes the next step 1960 Julius Schwartz relaunches or launches for the first time a, a super team called the Justice League of America, a, a, an updated version of the Justice Society, which was knocking around during the war. These books sell with great success. For the first time in a long time, not just Superman and Batman are selling, but we're getting other superheroes are selling. Martin Goodman, who always follows a trend, <laughs> he assigns Stan Lee with a task of returning um, Atlas Comics to superheroes. Stan, we've got to put out a bunch of heroes, a team. That's where the market is. <laughs> now, by this point in his career, Stanley is sick of comic books. Oh. He he's sick of writing formulaic comics, the monster of the week, the alien of the week. Mm. He's really sick of it. He's sick of making these sci-fi stuff that sold in the fifties, um, and that Martin Goodman wanted from him. And he dreads doing it yet more times, but with people in masks. Mm. And after complaining about his career for the umpteenth time to his wife and basically saying, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit, get a new career, go into advertising or something, Stan's wife says, look, if you're going to quit anyway, why not just do something you really want to do before you quit? Yes. Write the kind of character and dialogue that you really want to do as an experiment. See what happens. Yeah, you can't lose. You cannot lose. Stan said about this, For just this once, I would do the type of story I myself would enjoy reading. 
and the characters would be the kind of characters i could personally relate to they'd be flesh and blood they'd have their faults and foibles they'd be fallible and feisty you know it's stanley <laughs> look at that faults and foibles fallible and feisty oh look most, at those alliteration <laughs> most important of all inside their colorful costume booties they'd still have feet of clay mm. martin goodman had directed him to create a comic full to, to basically imitate the justice league uh, colorful superheroes standing for What's right in America? Instead, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby create the Fantastic Four, a comic book about a team of failures and misfits <laughs> who resent each other, and they don't stand for truth and justice and the American way. Instead, they, they fight each other, and they argue, and they bicker <laughs> like a squabbling family on a road trip in, the, in a hot day. The Fantastic Four, issue one, is a big hit, and... Its success spurs Stan Lee and Martin Goodman and Jack Kirby and every other collaborator into this new creative direction to follow Stan's gut and his kind of heart to create more and more comics about flawed people mm. with anxieties and existential crises who also have incredible superpowers and fight deadly colourful villains. Goodman renames the company Marvel Comics... And they enjoy a unrivaled success during this period. Marvel Comics become cool in a way that DC Comics could only dream of. By pitching their material for teens and young adults, especially with Spider-Man, Marvel Comics become embraced by college kids and they get woven into the counterculture of the 1960s. But a, a, a company that was struggling to get anything published by 1966, the time of this cartoon series is made, Marvel Comics are selling more than 40 million comics each and every month. The Marvel Universe, the Marvel Age has arrived. For the 100th time, Will, bring us that mailbag. <laughs> We've got quite a few here. Charlie T says, I can't believe you've done 100 episodes. This is my favourite podcast can't wait for a hundred more. Don't <laughs> know how we're going to do. You can hear in his voice. I oh, hear him. He's, that was him quitting in his voice there. Hundred more. Oh god. Thank no. you, Charlie T. We appreciate the love and support. Uh, the Marvel Fan X Eight wrote to say, "I've only been listening to this since the start of the year. I love that there's so many episodes for me to go back and listen to. It's amazing you've done a hundred. Thank you, uh, Marvel Fan X8. You're right, it is amazing that we've done 100. You're correct yeah, there. Mike Dolan said making 100 episodes of any podcast is amazing, but to make 100, epi- 100 shows uh, the length that you guys do with all the work and research you put in is just awesome. Please don't go anywhere. Keep up the good work. Yeah, we did. thank you very much, Mike. Um, they weren't quite this long and involved to begin with. Uh, we're making up for it now. Mm. Zach Thomas wrote in to say, I just got a new job making way more dollar-dollar bills, and the first thing I had to do was pay my way back into the wrecking crew. Zach, we we love you. We we forgive your trespass. I couldn't stay away for too long. It just didn't feel right. The job requires me to be by myself all day, driving and then working independently, so I have listened to almost half of the bonus episodes again while I do it. Some of them... Some of them for the fourth or fifth time, probably. Shelf life. There we go. When you subscribe to us on Patreon, and you got all these bonus episodes that have been running for years, these big full-length deep dives, 
They've got such shelf life. I do the same. If I'm going to go for a big walk, a big hike or whatever, I go, oh, I'll listen to that really cool episode we did from a couple of years ago. Mm, exactly. I'm listening to Future Imperfect again for the fifth time right now. It's incredible oh. how quickly the day passes by with you guys on all day. That's what we're here for. That's we're weird. here for the long shifts and yes. the crap jobs and the chores and the gym, the walks. I think my favourite bonus episodes recently are Secret Invasion, War of Kings, Infinity Gauntlet, and Damnation. What a run we've been on, Will. Yeah, Jeez. Done, it's been a good year. I also loved the X-Men Last Stand episode. It was hilarious, and I'm so oh, glad you guys covered okay. it despite all the pushback from Rob. Yeah, yeah, everyone loves that episode. Yeah, I mean, being miserable. I would love to hear the story of the Dark Reign and the Secret Empire soon. I'm starting my work day today listening to the live show from this year. Thank you so much, Zach. Look, we understand everyone's going through uh, financial ups and downs, uh, uh, which, I mean, maybe more pronounced than, than, but maybe not. I mean, every, every year's financial ups and downs for everybody. Um, we're always here when you want to come back. Mm, the, exactly. that, that bonus tier is always here. And we love the support that the, the, the top supporters, the world-class wrecking crew um, give to this show. We, we love that. Uh, Fuzzy Dunlop the third wrote, congrats on making it to 100. What's the next milestone? What's the next milestone? Don't know. Not sure actually. No. What would be the next milestone? Yeah, that's interesting because we like we 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 hit the, you know, you hit a certain number of years. I don't think it's downloads. I don't think we really care about downloads. Mm. Um, that's a good question. Yeah, it's a very I don't good know question. what the next milestone is. We'll, we'll have to figure it out because yeah, yeah, we'll figure. We'll, we'll, we, we, I'm sure we have something up our sleeves, basically. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Sari Turnstun said, wow, 100 episodes. I love this podcast. I listen to it all the time. You've done 100 episodes in the UK. When are you going to come and make an episode in the US? Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't sound any different. It wouldn't sound any different. I mean, it'd be the same. I'll tell you what, well, we'll just do a show in a few months and call it the, the, the American edition. And we'll just tell them we're in, I don't know, New York or Washington or something. I, I think we should do like uh, <clears throat> studio audience sound effects in the background i'll edit some mm. studio just to make it sound a bit more american yeah they love to whoop don't they over there yeah love they, 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 they love their noise they love their they like noises to clap themselves as well yeah. uh, which i can't uh, find very <laughs> jarring you'll see someone this person nominated for an oscar and then the audience applauds the person and the person applauds themselves it's wretched makes mm. me want to vomit anyway we love you american people we love thank you. you sarah thank you very much uh, David Fan said, What a milestone, boys. I was a little late to the podcast game, never looked into any until about half a year and a half ago. Huge Marvel fan. Sorry. I think there's a lack of punctuation here. I, I was a little late to the podcast game, never looked into any till about a year and a half ago. Huge Marvel fan, so I searched Marvel podcasts, starting with audio dramas such as Wastelanders, The Wolverine Long Trail. I believe it's cold uh, and a fantastic for one uh, with the crew confronting Galactus for the first time. That's a really good audio drama, that mm. one. I love audio dramas, um, and that one, is. I think it's called Marvel. It's really good. Yeah, I, I think there's a Batman audio drama as well. Uh, am I allowed to listen to the audio drama, Rob? Does that count? As a co- co- no, that's that's fine. That's, that's, that's fine. outside media. That's outside media. That's fine. Uh, for, for, for the first time, then I went on to try the uh, try uh, fan podcast. I tried two that weren't great. Then I saw MVM listen to the first three episodes, and I've never gone back to any other Marvel podcast. Love every- correct. Correct. You don't need listen. No one should be cheating on us. You don't need any other partners. 
Hmm. This is not an open relationship, folks. If you're with <laughs> us, you're just with us. We're locking you down. We're the most monogamous podcast you'll ever experience. <laughs> uh, this is the first three episodes, and I've never gone back to any other Marvel podcast. Left every episode, and working at the machine factory, I work three or f- uh, I, I, I work three or four uh, MVM really helped me through the uh, for the work nights. Here's to a hundred more episodes, man. Yeah. We um, appreciate you, David Fan, another member of the world class wrecking crew. We're so glad you've um, we've been able to open you up to the world. Well, not really open you up to the world of podcast. Open you up to the world of just this one podcast. That's all you need. Um, and again, yeah, we're here for. That's what long form podcasting is all about. It's for those long days, man. It's for those long drives, those commutes, those shifts you don't really want to pay attention in. Um, <laughs> thank you, David. Thank you very much. Mr. E got in touch. I've been listening for a couple of years now, and you guys have got better and better at making these episodes. I'm so pleased you decided to make better versions of Iron Man and the Hulk. I can't wait for you to do a big episode all about the first Avengers movie. Congrats on 100 episodes. Thank you, uh, whoever you might be, Mr. Mr. E. Mr. E. Enigma. I like that. Uh, Next up, we have Peter J. First ever supporter on Patreon. Shout out, Peter J. Peter J. Firstly, congratulations on 100 episodes. That's awesome. And for the 100th episode, you're going to look at how Marvel started and those 60s cartoons. I think they are the ones that have actual comic book panels that are animated. They were very cool for their time. There are a bunch of things I love about MVM. I'll try and sum it up quickly. The, uh, the premise, the long-form deep dives, and the journey of it all. Looking at the older movies and TV shows intermingled with the newer MC stuff, it's all just fantastic. I'm a big fan of the episodes that look at the older movies, and I have a lot, and a lot of the bonus episodes have been listened to over and over again. I think my favourite bonus episodes are Amalgam Comics, 1602, and Secret Wars, with a shout out to the many captains of the Americas. Also, 1602 was really good, wasn't it? I- that's one of our I best. Really want, all about that. I really want to read it, Rob. I Not really allowed. want to. I like. I like Neil Gaiman. I love the concept. I want to read it. For God's sake, let me read it. It's. It'll it's, break the, the format of the show. But we've done a hundred episodes. The format. No, never mind. <laughs> 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 also, just about any of the obscure Marvel episodes are great. They are always so much fun. As for my favourite main episodes, the one I, the ones I listen to the most are Nick Fury, Agents of Shield, Superman, DC Edition and Planet Hulk. But look, they are all great. As for comic book trivia and facts, where else are you going to get discussions on Steve Gerber, Jim Sterenko, and and Bill Seinkowitz? Sinekovich, I think. Sinekovich, with the trivia on such characters as Blade, Man-Thing, and Phoenix. Who else is doing an episode on Future Imperfect or a live show on Snake People and the death of all humans ever? (laughs) Oh boy, that was great. Gents, MVM is amazing. I hope there's hundreds more episodes to go. Thank you, Peter J, for all your support over for, these four yeah. years. Top man. Very good man. Uh, Taylor S wrote in to say, Thank you for 100 episodes. I've loved them all, but I've got to know, after 100 episodes, are you bored of talking about Marvel by now? Is there any other podcast you'd like to make? I'm not bored of talking about Marvel, I must admit. I, there's, there's to- there's so, this is such a big... Because we do like movie, we kind of do movie history, and we do comic mm. book like history, and we do all the story and character. It's just so big and massive. Yeah, I, I don't know what else we talk want to talk about. I mean, we we we, well, we, have, some, we, we have, might we might run out one day. 
we discussed recently this idea of I don't know if you remember this because Will your memory isn't always great um, we discussed this idea of doing like a podcast about like movies that have had really fractured production histories mm. because we love we love that section of the show mm. and finding out oh this happened on the on this and so looking at certain certain movies from history that have had really stand out weird um production mm. histories and all the terrible things that went wrong on them and kind of doing it'd be a much shorter show um but we talked about doing that and who yeah. knows maybe maybe that's something we'll do in the future i yeah. i i think i think well, people do come to us for marvel facts but i think they just love us for us i think we could talk about most things that we know about and people will if if you record it rob they will come I think you're wildly underestimating the attraction of talking about people's favourite characters and movies and cartoons. But yeah, who knows? <laughs> it's something. It's a small project we could do that probably no, we wouldn't get much of an audience for, and maybe that's something we can we can uh, play around with in the future. For one hundred episodes, we've been bringing you. The very, very best in Marvel history, trivia, deep dives, context. We've been doing a lot of hard lifting and hard labor for you. Long hours of research and writing and recording and editing. And we really hope that you guys uh, can find it in here to uh, support this community and support us and this incredible show over on Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel, where the amazing people who support us come together they get really, really, really cool bonus content, including full-length deep dives into um, the best Marvel stories from all the decades and years, things that aren't on TV, not in the movies, and haven't been adapted yet. Um, we look at... Uh, what have we done this year? Like We did the Kang Dynasty. It's not even been made yet. We've looked into that. <laughs> um We've looked at Amalgam Comics, where Marvel and DC Comics merged universes and merged characters. Um, we did a massive episode on the Infinity Gauntlet. Oh, yes, that was a good one. might be the best one we've ever done. I'm not sure. It was really good. We looked at the, the, the ultimate version of the Avengers, a, a dark, twisted, gritty version of the Avengers. Um, tons of stuff. Damnation was the one that we did... Um, in October, mm. um, and Will, like, how did you find Damnation? It's it's uh, Mephisto um, trying to snatch the souls of Las Vegas. It's Doctor Strange uh, going to war with Mephisto. There are undead Avengers. There's Ghost Riders. There's a lot going on. It was it was interesting. I mean, uh, obviously, it's not it's not like a, a massive crossover event, but it's enough there to just make it insane and i just love the twist that happened in terms of uh who has property over what in terms of hell and, and stuff and and just the big cas the hellish <coughs> casino coming out of the ground great stuff incredible um we put out a, a full-length deep dive every month on patreon for our bonus supporters um this month with the marvels in cinemas we're going to take a look at the biggest Carol Danvers story ever told. Civil War Two. It happened again. <laughs> the, the Avengers are plagued by Thanos and the Celestials and visions of a dystopian future full of death. These visions 
split the team down the middle as Captain Marvel assembles a superhero military force to make sure a terrible future is averted. Opposed by Tony Stark with his allies, it's Iron Man versus Captain Marvel, Avengers versus Avengers, with Miles Morales caught in the middle and visions of Captain America being killed. Um, it's a big, big story. Civil War Two. Um, that is exclusively for the VIEP tier and above on Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. And there are some people will that we said that tier and above. Well, above is the world class wrecking crew, mm. the supporters that give the most, that support this show the most, that are the backbone of Marvel versus Marvel. Peter J. Brandon Spigilski, Basta Beer, Sam, Bindi, Supi, Jack Davis, Zubair Q, David Fan, Zach Thomas, a massive wealth of support from the Wrecking Crew. We thank you. We thank everyone that's ever, you know, dug deep and, and thrown us some change and and uh, had some fun with us and got some cool bonus content. But those people, those at uh, that special, special do the right thing tier, the wrecking crew tier, um, those are the cats that really um, make this show happen and allow me and Will to take all the time that we do to research and write and record it and everything. Um, but it's not just the big deep dives, everyone gets something on patreon <laughs> you can start contributing and helping us out for just three quid a month which is the price of a drink a coffee um some places not even a big coffee um for three quid a month you'll really help me and will and the show keep going and in exchange you'll get a cool a cool fun funny bonus episode called obscure marvel where each and every month i go rifling through the dumpsters of the marvel universe and expose will to the most ridiculous characters and stories i can find um everyone at every tier gets obscure marvel every month will hmm. this month the month of november we had i believe the craziest fantastic four story ever told oh god yes god it was crazy it was just absolutely mad. <laughs> yeah, we had um, a body swapping Reed Richards and Doctor Doom, um, and the, a plan that involved stealing all the animals from the zoo. Now, <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, was it? <laughs> well, and he shrugged them, and it was like, "Oh, this is making even less sense. Why would you yeah. do this?" Yeah, yeah. The idea is that dinosaurs died because they grew too big for their brains. We need to correct that by shrinking the Fantastic Four. It's honestly, it's an absolutely mad story. Um, we do that every month. There's tons of mad, mad, mad episodes of Obscure Marvel out there on Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Um, get involved. Get just if you if you are the, if you're the people that like have those really bad shifts, those long shifts, those long commutes, those rough days, those tough times at the gym, and you like rely on our show to get you through it. First of all, you owe us do the right thing. Mm. Second of all, hey, get access to a whole new tier of episodes. Like, yeah, we know you, we've got evergreen content you like to go back and listen to, but you can unlock like hours and hours and hours and days of new material on Patreon, which will get you through even more reward. Um, and it's not just uh, you know you don't just sign up for the uh, for the for that tier and get one bonus episode you get access to all the bonus episodes we've ever done mm. um so you can really binge 
um, and get yourself through um, things like Civil War, Secret Invasion, Infinity Gauntlet, tons to listen to, the secret history of Wolverine, the history of Galactus, um, the history of Cable from Deadpool. It's just tons out there, tons to get involved with. Um, Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. And then on the other side of this break, we're going to take a deep dive into the 1960s. Episode, episode 100 